you so much that we can meet together in peace and freedom to study your word this morning. Thank you for the work of your spirit, and we pray that you would be working in us uh, by your word this morning, that you'd be shaping us and changing us to be more like the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's not often I get to uh, preach through an entire book <laughs> at, at Winchester, uh, at, at Redeemer. Um, uh, so uh, it is only 13 verses, but do keep that open. Uh, that would be a great help to me and to you. Let's look at these verses. There's a big theme here, isn't there? Uh, love. <laughs> love is a, is a tricky business. If you haven't worked that out for yourself yet, uh, you surely will at some stage. Uh, we have been obsessed by it for uh, millennia. Millions of songs uh, and poems, letters, sonnets, Hollywood movies, sculptures, paintings, TV programs have all tried to define love. Love, love of, of various kinds. Platonic love, romantic love, unrequited love. Brotherly love, obsessive love, enduring love, unconditional love, true love. Love is all you need, insisted the Beatles. Love makes the world go round, said W.S. Gilbert in 1925. And feel free to finish the quote for me. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune, must be in want of a wife. Those famous lines from Pride and Prejudice. Well, our subject this morning is, uh, is something that the whole world is interested in, uh, but it's something that we so often uh, misunderstand. Uh, society's view of love is so often influenced by a kind of Hollywood rom-com depiction of love, which usually misses the essence of what true love really is. And often that's not rooted in very much more than feelings, which go up and down. So often that kind of love is transactional. Often it revolves around sex or personal convenience. That is so often the message that the world is hearing. But it's not the message of two John. Now, in this letter, uh, John uh, the Apostle gives us a glimpse into the very heart of, of what real love is. Even in that uh, first verse, there, he says, Elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love. I have to be honest, I hadn't read to John all that much uh, before I was asked to prepare this talk. And I, at first glance, reading this first line, thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be John's saucy love letter to his first century girlfriend. Uh, but of course not, <laughs> unsurprisingly not. Um, actually, I, I've become convinced that um, the lady there is not an individual, uh, not an individual, but um, actually this letter is written to a church um, I, I guess some commentators do think it could be an individual, but when you get down to, to verse 12, uh, he says, 
I have much to write to you. And that's it, a you, plural. Um, and we know elsewhere in Revelation that John talks about the church uh, as a bride. Um, I think this is a letter written to, to a church. And the subject is very definitely love. Well, we can't miss that. Look at how many times he mentions it, five times in these few short verses. Uh, love, that, that is difficult as well in these verses to separate out from truth, whom I love in the truth. Not only I, that is John, but also all who know the truth. Love is inseparable from, from truth here. And so in this short letter, John explores the relationship between truth and love. And we're going to see that, that true love is inseparable from true truth. Gospel truth will initiate and inspire the right kind of love. And that for love to flourish, truth needs to be embraced. And where truth is, uh, is denied or, or quashed or sidelined uh, or, or drifted from, if we drift from the truth, well, then love dies. The two are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Uh, and so I guess I, I would like us also this morning to think about what kind of a church uh, we want to be. What kind of church are we today? What are we going to be in 10 years' time, in 50 years' time? God willing, 150 years' time. Are, are we a church uh, is Redeemer the church that, that, that loves enough to guard the truth? Are we a church that loves God and seeks to love one another and so holds firmly to the truth of the gospel and the truth of, of the Bible? Are we a church that above all else wants to guard truth and, they, uh, and so allow that to, to shape our love for each other? Or there are two alternatives, aren't there, I guess? Do we have truth uh, w without love? Uh, and so bash people over the head with, with the truth without love. And that causes great damage. I don't know if you've, if, if you've seen some of these things, these kind of cultural reviews into some churches. Uh, often I think that the, out, um, the output of those is often truth. We've gone really hard on truth, but without love. And that's a really damaging, dangerous thing. On the flip side, I suppose, we, we could be a church that um, has love, but, but not truth. It doesn't hold firmly to the gospel truth. And so, actually, we don't really love one another. We can't point one another back to the gospel if we haven't got that truth. What kind of a church are we? What kind of church do we want to be? Because truth and love, you lose one and you've, you've lost the other. The first thing we're going to see is that uh, the heart of love is truth. The heart of love is truth. Have a look down with me at verses uh, one to three. Um, John makes that very clear, that the heart of love is, is truth. That real love is initiated and defined and sustained and shaped by the active truth of, of God's word as he's revealed it in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That seems to be true from these first couple of verses here. Uh, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us 
and will be with us forever. Notice the, uh, the because there. Why is it that John uh, loves them truly? Well, it's because they share in the truth together. Because of the truth that lives in them. The truth that inhabits them and him and so binds them together in love. The truth is the glue that holds the church together in love. You see, if you have one, well, then you have the other. If you distance yourself from one, then you're going to distance yourself from the other. The truth of Jesus, uh, his person and his work takes root in the believer. Those words there, lives in the believer. Verse three, uh, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Took me ages actually this week to uh, to get my head around uh, what what the kind of flow chart of this really was. I did myself a little diagram, but luckily I'm such a terrible ass. I did send it uh, uh, this morning, so I was uh, super disorganised with it, and I'm quite pleased it's not going to appear on the screen because my drawing is so terrible. Um, but as I sat down to to think about this, it seems that the truth is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So so therefore, the truth of true love. Okay. And because the truth of true love inhabits the believer, so lives in us, therefore the believer is is shaped by love. And because the truth that inhabits the believer is, uh, and so shapes them, is everlasting, we see here, eternal, forever, in my translation here, therefore the believer is bonded into an eternal fellowship with God the Father and God the Son um, and uh, in the Spirit, through the truth. So grace, mercy, and peace through God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. Do you see, the believer is invited into the life of the Trinity, knitted into a family of true love that is headed by God the Father, reigned over by God the Son, and indwells every believer by God's Holy Spirit. Truth is the uh, DNA as it were, of the Christian church. Love courses through the veins of the the true believer. And so as we come to Jesus and we recognize the love of God, we're drawn into that love and the seed of that love is, is planted deep into the heart of the believer. And so growing within the believer, the love of God is expressed in the truth of Jesus Christ. And so he, she cannot but help love those around him. We're knit together as a church in this fellowship of truth and love. That language of DNA. Uh, I seem to have millions of cousins and um, about six weeks ago we had a family wedding down in Devon. My youngest sister uh, got married and um, it was a great family occasion and um, perhaps we're not doing much for the Devon stereotype of being a bit inbred, um, but uh, in the family photos, uh, whole loads of them sitting in blocks for the family photos basically look identical. Uh, they're, they're cousins, but you see them sitting together, and they look more or less the same. Um, and that, that, that's a likeness that can only really be explained by, by DNA, by the way they're knit together. And so it is with the Christian believer. If the heart of Love is truth, so the gospel, 
then the true gospel enables this fellowship of love, an eternal fellowship. Did you see that? And we'll find this DNA all over the world, uh, wherever you find a, a true church, where the truth of the gospel is taught. And it, it goes beyond the end of the age, forever we read. And that is a glorious thing. I confess when I uh, first looked at the passage uh, that, that, that Johnny gave me, I, I let out a, a little groan. Um, you see, it's littered throughout the, the chapter with, with love. And uh, I thought, oh, he stitched me up here, hasn't he, again. Uh, there's not much meat to get our teeth into, necessarily. Love, this kind of airy-fairy concept. But you see, n- not at all. No, this real fierce way that God loves us. As we see in the gospel, God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He so loved the world that he loved us to death. And he loved us when our backs were turned on him, when we were running from him. He loved us because he loved us. Do you see how he takes the initiative? That we didn't do anything to deserve his love. He loves us because he loves us. We read elsewhere in the Bible, uh, his compassion grows warm and tender within, uh, within him towards his wandering child. Or listen to these words from, from Jeremiah. Um, my darling child, my heart yearns for you. I mean, who talks like that? But a loving father, unconditional love for his children. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us that much. Uh, He is the very essence of love. And he sent his son to die for you and for me. Do you see how this this kind of love totally contrasts with the view of love that the world gives us? Uh, Think of the world's love. It's always transactional. Even that phrase, I love you just the way you are, that we see in so many Hollywood movies, well, it's contingent upon me staying the way that I am. There's an element of transaction to it. And so from Shakespeare's sonnets to Sex in the City, from Tom Jones to Nora Jones, Love Island to Love Actually, uh, human love seems to be always transactional. I love you because. Not so with God's. God's love is, is unconditional. I love you because I love you, he says. I love you because I love you, says the God of the universe. Well, if that is the, the heart of love, if truth is, is, is the heart of love, how then uh, is it expressed? That's our second thing. The act of love is expressed in obedience. The act of love is expressed in obedience. It's acted out. It's an active thing. So verses four to six, John appeals to the church. He says, uh, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had since the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk uh, in love. This isn't new, is it? It's in John's first letter. Um, 
Again, he reminds uh, these people of the, the commandment to love. So in 1 John 16, his previous letter, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Let us not love in talk, in talk only, but in deed and truth in our acts. And so what I think he means by verse six in our little letter here is that um, when he says, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands that you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. What I think he's doing here is referring to the first and second commandments. So uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and, and this is, I think, what, uh, t- taking what Jesus says and, and trying to obey his commandments uh, by, by loving others in the situation in which we find ourselves. And that will look different in all sorts of scenarios as we try and hold firm to the truth and so love people. I mean, the world tells us, you know, be who you want to be and uh, tells us that the loving thing to do is, is to affirm others um, regardless of their choices. But that's not necessarily, we see here, loving someone in truth. We love others because Christ loves them and because they're beloved children of God. I want to tread carefully here because these things are often not uh, academic issues for lots. Um, and I, w- I want to acknowledge that to begin with. But I was reading recently about a man in America um, who uh, has decided to identify now as a cat, which sounds sort of faintly ridiculous to lots, I suppose. But we want to tread carefully on this. We're not, I'm not trying to, to ridicule him in any way here. But, but actually, the truth of the gospel is uh, that he is a man made in the image of God. And that is so precious that God made man, uh, male and female, to rule over the animals of the earth. And so he has human dignity, a dignity that a cat just doesn't have, really, even if you're a cat person. And were he to, uh, to walk into the back of Redeemer, we ought to love him as a, as a child of God. And that means partly bringing the truth and the love of the gospel to bear on his life. To show him that he's dearly loved by the king of the universe. And that he has great dignity. That he's made in God's image. He's created by his father in heaven. And you see, therefore, that loving someone truly doesn't mean necessarily affirming all of their choices. And often telling the truth in love uh, can be a really hard thing to do. Uh, But if we truly love one another, uh, that is what we'll do. We'll hold out the gospel to them, the loving gospel. And so are we uh, here as a church trying to, to love one another with the truth of the gospel. And where someone isn't uh, walking with the Lord. The loving thing to do is to help bring them back to the truth, even if speaking the truth in love uh, to someone can be hard. And given that I am drawn into this family of believers, I'll want to encourage others to walk closely with the Lord as well. Because God says that in our family, uh, we love 
This is the genetic code. This is the DNA. Uh, uh, he says, I have evidenced it. Uh, you were conceived by it, and you're indwelt with it. So live it. And feel the relief of that. C- can you imagine uh, the, if the God of the universe revealed his will, and it wasn't one of unconditional love? Can you imagine that? Look at the cultures that uh, are formed without the love of God at the center of them. So often cold, transactional, uh, and sterile. Holly and I have been uh, reading a uh, little Christian book about parenting. And one of the chapters is about uh, a home for the child that is one of unconditional love and peace. Uh, And the chapter uses that sort of biblical word, shalom. Um, uh, So that the child knows truly that their parents love them um, unconditionally. It's not conditional upon their performance, that they're loved because, well, they're loved. Now, that doesn't rule out discipline and and boundaries. Actually, it reinforces the importance of those as tools of love. But the child is loved simply and unconditionally because they are. Now, I am imperfect at that. And for that jaunty, that little blonde boy pushes my button sometimes. Um, But not so with God. You see, he loves us perfectly. And so for us, John is not saying to us uh, this morning, uh, love others around you because you find them uh, bearable. You know, I just love the people at church uh, that I get on with. And John's not also saying, you know, love them simply because I've told them you must. Now he's saying that uh, if you love, uh, if the love of God has been planted within you, fix your eyes on the cross to see that the king of love is reigning in heaven today and we love because he first loved us. It's difficult to give uh, concrete examples really. Um, There are what, a hundred people here or so and each of us will have different scenarios where we can hold out the love of God to our neighbors, colleagues, to our friends. But I guess the good principle is to, to look at the cross vertically and uh, he will show you how to love your brothers and sisters horizontally. And as we look at the cross and as we see how he actively loved us, that he actually chose uh, to, to do active and physical things in the way that he loved us, he, he didn't simply say, uh, I love you and left it at that. Now, he did stuff. He loved us unconditionally and sacrificially. There's no such thing as a love that doesn't cost. And so, uh, I guess, picture your relationships. I heard this from somebody else. Picture your relationship as, uh, as, a, as a garden. Relationships with, with, with your spouse or with your children or, or with your friends, with your parents. Picture that relationship as a garden. What is it that you're going to do? Uh, what are you going to plant in it? to encourage it to flourish and to look, uh, to look beautiful. Look at the cross. See how he loved you. Uh, and ask yourself, what act are you, what act am I going to do today to demonstrate uh, God's love in the life of others? What ta- uh, tangible, practical expressions of love can we uh, work out amongst one another in this church on a daily basis? How are we going to love the person sitting next to us, the family that we've been knitted together with. I was talking to um, a local politician once down in Plymouth, and he said that the, uh, the place 
to be for him uh, was either at church uh, or in the rugby club because that's where all the sectors of society tended to, uh, to kind of integrate. Um, and it's right, isn't it, that we've got young and old uh, here. We've got people of all, um, all nations bound together here with the same DNA. How are we going to love one another? Just uh, briefly then, as we uh, come to a close, the last thing that we're, we're to see is um, the threat to love. The threat to love. In this last uh, little section of the letter, we see uh, why John is, is writing this letter and what he wants the people to do. So he gives two commands. I wonder if you, you saw those there. Um, two commands from verse 7. He says, uh, watch yourself and do not receive them. Because there's a, a very serious threat uh, to love in the church. So verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ does not have God. But whoever continues in the teaching has both father and son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Two types of people here. Uh, the deceiver, uh, so those who don't acknowledge Christ. We're, we're not told exactly what that looks like, but possibly denies the resurrection or uh, denies that uh, Jesus was the son of God. So the deceiver. Uh, and also the progressive in verse 9. Everyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ. I think we're to picture uh, the early church and to remember that there were lots of little house churches to begin with and uh, lots of individuals were, were going around trying to gain a hearing within those, those churches, those little houses. So we're to picture groups of, of families who come together for church each week in their villages or towns and groups of orators or teachers traveling about uh, the ancient world looking for an audience that would fund them, uh, that would uh, be influenced by them, an audience that would help them to make a name for themselves. And John is saying here that some of those people are not interested in truth or love. And actually they try to pull others away from truth and love. And he says, have nothing to do with them. Don't give them any airtime. Do you see the relationship again there between truth and love? You know, if we welcome this deceiver into the church, then we will ultimately destroy the love that exists within the church. And so it's a loving thing to do. Actually, it's the only thing to do if we're serious about preserving the community of love uh, that we have, is to not let them in. And if, if we fail to do this, there will not be a loving gospel church called Redeemer uh, in the coming generations. Uh, if we don't distance ourselves absolutely from this sort of deceptive, beyond Christ, anti-Christ teaching, people who have moved on from the gospel, from the truth that we first heard, uh, well then our children, of which there are lots uh, over in their groups over there, 
Our children will not grow up in a loving Christian community. That is what's at stake. Uh, The gospel and everything that that the apostles worked for, uh, we see here, is at stake. It's a serious way to to end, isn't it? But brothers and sisters, uh, we who are knit together in the DNA of Christ, we are to love each other in truth. We're part of the everlasting people of God, and that is something to rejoice in, and that is something to protect. Let me lead us in a prayer as we close.